Podcast. The Gospel according to Matthew was written by a former tax collector who was transformed by the power of Christ. Instead of keeping records for Rome, now he would keep records for God, carefully recording all that Jesus said and did. Matthew references more than 60 Old Testament prophecies, proving Jesus is indeed the promised Messiah. Jesus really is who he claimed to be, our Savior and soon returning King. Now let's join Pastor Ross with our verse-by-verse study through the Gospel of Matthew. We're going to get started here, picking up where we left off. That's what we do. We go verse by verse through God's Word, chapter by chapter, through the whole counsel of God. And so we're going to pick up there in Matthew 13 with one of the parables. Actually, today's a twofer because they're so short and they have the same theme. So as you get settled there in Matthew 13, uh, let's ask the Lord for his blessing. Now, Father God, we do pray that your Holy Spirit is with us, would open the eyes of our understanding. These are truths that are uh, discerned only through the Spirit. So we need your help. Jesus, you told us apart from you, we can do nothing. And so, Father, we're dependent on your grace. And so reveal to us these truths that set our hearts free and make us have wisdom that we can apply these truths and be blessed and be a blessing to you, God, to be productive and effective in this life. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I love little sayings, little popular expressions. We call them idioms. You know, I'm a words guy, right? And so, you know, idioms like, you know, you don't want to let the cat out of the bag or, you know, you don't want to kick the bucket before your time, you know. And I always like to know where did those little sayings come from? It's always very interesting, right? But many of the popular expressions that we have, people don't realize they're borrowed straight out of the Bible. The blind leading the blind. Oh, Jesus coined that to describe the Pharisees and the Sadducees, religious leaders who don't know the Lord, uh, leading people. Uh, It's a big mess there in Matthew 15. And then there's uh, to see the handwriting on the wall. That comes, of course, from Daniel chapter 5 with the king of uh, Babylon's demise. And then there's the phrase, eat, drink, and be merry. Well, Paul the Apostle said, if there's no resurrection, let's just party, folks. And that's where the saying comes from in 1 Corinthians 15, if you're taking notes. Even Job's got a phrase that we all like to use. He said, I have escaped by the skin of my teeth. And he is the first person who put that expression out there, there in chapter 19. Well, here in Matthew 13, We've been introduced to Jesus' new teaching style. He's telling stories, but not fairy tales. 
They're called parables, and I've told you before that that word simply means to come alongside. And so it's really an analogy or a metaphor that comes alongside to help us understand uh, spiritual truths uh, by telling us something uh, from an everyday uh, situation or illustration. Uh, some of these stories are quite developed, like the prodigal son, uh, that's got 500 words in English. And others are more like little proverbs, a sentence or two. And that's the case this morning and why we have two quick word pictures that Jesus is going to use. Uh, one illustration from the garden and one illustration from the kitchen. And so those two uh, parables are going to help us understand some spiritual truth, what the kingdom of heaven is all about, and how God is at work in this world that belongs to him. And so these two little stories, they both have the same theme, and it's summed up quite nicely by an expression, the world borrowed from the Bible, Zechariah chapter 4, do not despise these small beginnings, the day of small beginnings, do not despise. And the context of that was rebuilding Solomon's temple when the Jewish people came back from exile uh, to a pile of rubble. And so they were pretty discouraged and overwhelmed at the task before them. And the prophet says, do not despise humble beginnings because if God's in it, no matter how small it seems at the start, that work is going to be completed right on time. And so, sure, God understands there's nothing more discouraging or, or uh, frustrating for impatient creatures like ourselves uh, to be facing some monumental task and, and have limited resources and limited time and all of that, let's say, starting a business or landscaping a property or building a house from the ground up, right? You have lots of work, little help, limited budget, and all of that. How in the world is this ever going to happen? But Jesus says when it comes to God's work in the world to bring salvation and the gospel, he says, you do not need to entertain those kinds of thoughts because when it comes to the kingdom of God and God's saving plan, it's going to get done no matter how tiny it seems in the beginning. And so you got to know the disciples, the followers of Jesus back then were thinking and feeling a little bit overwhelmed. Jesus was saying, you know, this gospel must be preached to every creature under heaven, right? And so there they were, 12 guys, you know, maybe 70 at the most. Big dreams, it's a big world out there. And so Jesus encourages them with a couple of these little stories that we're going to dive into now. He says, God has a plan to save the world. It starts off very small, like seed in a garden or yeast added to a big lump of dough. It continues growing until it dominates the whole place. That is the point. Starting there at verse 31. It'll be on the screens. Hopefully the glare's not too bad. Verse 31, parable 1. Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed which a man took and planted in his field. 
Though it is the smallest of all your seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and perch in its branches. He told them still another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into a large amount. It's really three measures and really 60 pounds of flour there uh, until it works all the way through that dough. And so those are the two stories today. They serve really as a warning to Jesus' opponents who may have underestimated the small start of Jesus' work there. And it also serves as an encouraging word to those who are following and seeing there's quite a bit of odds stacked against them. And so, yes, the resources are thin. They live out in the sticks there in Galilee. And what are these 12 plus a few others? You know, no education to speak of, no influential power, no money. What, what was in their sack there? It's changed the world. A hundred shekels, that's $29. And the amount of money in that sack was diminishing every hour that Judas had it in his possession because the Bible tells us he kept the money sack and used to help himself to what was inside. He was a thief on top of being a traitor. And so, uh, and here's the thing, it's God's work. It's not by my, not by power, but by his spirit, by his energy, by his will, it shall be accomplished. And so, as I said, it serves two purposes. The, these two stories, it serves notice to the bad guys. This train is coming through, and you better either get on it or get out of the way, because like seed and yeast, they're relentless. It's ambition. It never stops until it dominates. And this is the theme you're going to be hearing over and over again. And so these, uh, this tiny minority indeed would be encouraged right off as soon as these words fell off of Jesus' gracious lips. Uh, there were vast multitudes uh, throughout the entire known world that worshipped pagan uh, deities, right? And even their own nation, Israel, who acknowledged the one true God, they were wandering from him and oblivious to the Messiah's mission. Uh, They're blind to him because they don't understand that the Messiah's first coming was to suffer and die for the sins of the world, written about in their own Tanakh, or their, the Jewish word for Bible, their own scriptures there. And so, Yes, indeed, the kingdom of heaven will dominate the earth and until there is no other plant to speak of in that garden and until that yeast works, it way, works its way through every little inch of that big amount of flour. It just keeps going. Yes, offensive to the rebels, but encouraging to the believers. So let's dive in. We'll walk through and unpack these two little illustrations with big time truth. And man, how timely, you know, when you look around in the world and you might have 
an opportunity to get discouraged, but you, you should not be discouraged because God's work is still at work and it is growing. And God says, when I speak, a word comes out of my mouth it never comes back to me empty, but it accomplishes that which I sent it forth to do. And that is a promise from God. When God wants something done, it's going to happen. Amen? All right. You're feisty again this week. It's all that vitamin D, right, with the sunshine. So awesome. So the flow of thinking today is just following, not really hard and fast uh, points as usual. And just uh, going through the idea of the tiny beginning and the relentless growing and then the dramatic big time ending, which God loves. He loves that surprise big time drama at the end when the author of the show walks onto the stage, folks, you know game is over. And so that's what's going to happen. So let's talk about this tiny beginning here. We'll go back and forth between the illustrations here. And so we can go back to the tiny beginning even before Jesus there. And we could go back yet 4,000 years before Jesus to the dawn of creation, you know, back to when uh, not only did he appear at Bethlehem, but back to when he created the world. Yes, you heard me right. Jesus created the world. You are Lord and God. You are able to receive glory and honor and power. This is the song before the throne where Jesus sits in heaven. For you created all things. And by your will, they were created and have their being. That's Revelation chapter 4. And so even before Jesus appeared, when he did create the world, the Bible says, well, Paul the apostle was preaching to the Greeks some good news and letting them know that Zeus wasn't in charge, but actually God was. And he started from the beginning there in Acts 17, talking to them about Genesis chapter 1. They didn't have a clue, those Greeks. And so he said, from one man, he created all nations throughout the whole earth. And he decided beforehand when they should rise and fall. And he determined their boundaries. And so uh, he, speaking of that man, Adam, that's where the problem begins and why God must intervene in parables that show us a mustard seed is planted in the garden to remedy a huge disaster. And a woman adds a little yeast to the dough to remedy a horrible tragedy. Why are these parables speaking about God having to take action? He's called a savior because somebody is perishing and that somebody is the entire world who disconnected. You know the story. The first two chapters of Genesis explains how the world got off to a perfect and good start. God looks around after two chapters of creating and says, this is very good. Right, But then chapter 3 tells us how everything suddenly went south. A forbidden tree, a choice, a serpent, and a lie, and an act of disobedience that brought death and sin to the world. And death and sin spread to all because all have sinned. And then 
the rest of the entire Bible from chapter 3. All 1,186 chapters really explain then how God went about to fix this problem, and it begins small, right? So we can go back to one man again, and a few chapters later in Genesis chapter 12, God puts a plan into action with Father Abraham. And in Genesis 12, he says, Abraham, I'm going to make you into a great nation. Your descendants will outnumber the stars in the sky, the sand on the seashore there. And through you and them, I will bless the whole earth. And there's that idea. The whole garden will be taken over by what Jesus plants. The whole 60-pound lump of dough will be leavened completely. And that's the idea there. I will bless the whole earth, not condemn the whole earth. He's planting and mixing the yeast in there to do his work for good. It's a benevolent, it's a merciful, it's a saving action. And he'll say, right, pretty amazing promise uh, to a guy uh, who couldn't have kids, his wife couldn't have any children. And he himself was 99 years old. And when his wife is like, how's that going to work? Well, just, uh, you know? And then he says, listen, I am the Lord. Is anything too difficult for me? And so Abraham, uh, the seed gets planted, becomes Isaac. And then Isaac gives birth to Jacob. And Jacob has 12 boys. You see the seed is growing. The yeast is spreading, right? And those 12 sons, Jacob gets a name change to Israel, right? So they're called, those 12 boys are called the children of Israel. And those 12 boys become the 12 heads of families, and they become the nation of Israel. And they head out when there's 70 of them, when the yeast becomes 70, and the tree becomes 70, right? They head out to Egypt, and then there's an exodus. They come back to Canaan, where they take the land for 1,400 years. They've been growing up until the time Jesus is telling the story that Israel would be a light for the nations that salvation may reach. Here it is again, to the ends of the earth. You see? the little tiny seed that's going to take over the entire garden, the little pinch of yeast that's going to manage to get through that entire huge loaf of bread. And so how does that happen? Well, phase two, the second covenant, here's how Israel and that tree is going to uh, fill the earth with God's blessing and fruit. So the opening verses, which shocks any Jew that reads it, because they always think the New Testament is a Gentile book, a Catholic book, about a Catholic man hanging on a Catholic cross and, and, and telling uh, Christians how to despise Jewish people. That's what Jews think. Right? Until they read Matthew chapter 1, and it starts out, here's a genealogy, a Jewish genealogy from Abraham, the progenitor of the Jewish people, and it traces down their, what, 42 Jewish names. Abraham goes to Isaac, Isaac goes to Jacob, Jacob goes to Judah, and then Judah has Perez, and Perez has Hezron, and Hezron has Ram, and then 42 grandsons later, that man has a godly teenage daughter, and she receives 
a tiny seed in her virgin womb. God incarnates himself to one cell and implants himself into Mary's womb to become a baby who will grow into a boy, who will grow into a teen, who will grow into a man, who will become a human, living, breathing sacrifice that all the sins of the world will be laid upon him. And through his death and resurrection, we would have forgiveness and reconciliation. And so this is in keeping, is it not, with Genesis chapter 3 at the scene of the crime. When that serpent convinced the woman to eat, and she ate. And God says to his enemy, just so you know, a conqueror shall come through a woman like her. Yes, you just destroyed the human race through a woman, but through a woman, you will be destroyed. And he was speaking of the seed of the woman, the incarnation of God in Mary's womb, who was related 42 times grandson. She is the granddaughter times 42 greats is Mary to Abraham there. So invisible to the naked eye, one cell. And this is how God works. He works with, and Genesis chapter 1, verse 11 says, God said, let there be vegetation and trees, but let them yield seed after their kind. And so I'll produce trees that produce fruit with seed in it. And every living thing, including you, started with a seed, including Christ Jesus, well, his body and his incarnation, he existed forever because he's equal to God in every way. But his point is this, what God planted in the garden and what God has mixed into the dough will grow and grow, and there is nothing anybody can do. Job chapter 42 and verse 2 says, there is no one and nothing can that, that can stop the plan of God. Period. Remember I told you about that sign in Sebastopol? It was a stop sign. And it had spray painted above the word stop. Spray painted God. So stop God, right? And I used to have a morning laugh every single day as I drove by that. And I used to make little comments to whoever, and I prayed for that person who sprayed it there. Poor, poor, poor person. Come on. How are you going to stop God? You can't stop him, right? He says that it's going to go through, and because he's God, and so mustard seed, pinch of yeast, it's going to happen. It may look tiny, and the, and the guys may be thinking, oh, come on, there's only 12 of them, and it's some carpenter. He didn't even go to seminary. He's got no money, no backing, nobody of influence behind him, except the Almighty. Amen. <laughs> so that's what they were thinking. We had nothing to worry about. The guys, you know, 
he's trying to make a little extra money. You know, his carpenter work maybe fell through. He's got a motley crew of followers. They're fishermen. Tax collectors like him. Prostitutes love him. The sinners are flocking to him. We have nothing to worry about. No chance of this ever getting off the ground. Come on, especially if we kill him, you know? So... Jesus really is telling these little stories really to say, if you don't repent, your demise is coming. These are two little stories that are so nice from the kitchen and from the garden that say, you guys are through. You guys are going to be dominated and conquered. You know, careful to uh, underestimating the one who can walk on the water. Amen. So the mustard seed becomes a mustard tree. I think I've got a picture of a little mustard seed. You guys have seen one. I've got a hand there. You see that little hand there, Spencer? There's a hand with a little seed in it right in the middle. There it is, right? It's a tiny little thing. It can get stuck under your, your, your fingernail and you'd never see it again, right? And this is Jesus' point. That's how it all began. But it began tinier than that because Jesus entered the womb. You'd have to use a microscope to see the zygote, the one cell. And yet, he says, it grows to, and here's a picture of the mustard uh, tree. It's kind of a tree shrub thing that can grow out exponentially. It can grow up to 20 feet high. And I can't tell from the glare if it's up there or not. But uh, is it? Yeah, good. All right. And uh, 20 feet high, but it can have these low uh, spreading branches that can go just as wide. The point that Jesus is making, you don't need to be impressed by the picture. It's not about that. What it is is about it just takes over. That's what it does. And, and, the, and the contrast between the little, I mean, if you look at one like you're looking at and think that it came from, how is that possible? And that's what people are going to say at the end of the age. How did God take over the whole planet when it started with just one man, one seed, 12 guys, honestly? Wow, that's an amazing thing. Uh, the name of that mustard tree, oh, the Latin name, Salvadora Prosecca, right? And they brought those seeds over from Iran after they had been repatriated there. And so uh, that's the story there. So Jesus is announcing his, uh, his coup. He's just saying, listen, there's a coup coming. God is going to do a coup d'etat, right? But it's not a hostile takeover. It is if you're on the other side and you're being an opponent to a benevolent king who wants his throne back. It's his earth. He created it. It was hijacked away by the by the loss and the, the free will of man who was given dominion and we gave it over to the evil one. Thought we had a better deal with him. And now look at the place. But he says, I want, I want it back. I've got a plan and it's going to come back to me and I will reign and rule and renew this earth and make it to what it should have been. I really love this, uh, and, and make no mistake about it, it's going to happen. I love this prophecy from Isaiah 9. It's a Christmas time verse. 
I think I sent it over. Uh, Spencer, if you have it. Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. You see the two natures right there? A child, a human child, who has to identify with our sin and be a sacrifice. But a son, the God-man, the Son of God, the deity, right there in Isaiah. And governing will be his responsibility, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God. There it is. <laughs> Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there'll be no end. He will reign forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. The zeal of God. The desire of the one who spoke and the universe leapt into existence. The one who created all things and by his mighty power all things exist and hold together. By his zeal, his passion, his desire, his intention. It says, by the way, by his hot burning ambition, this is going to happen. <laughs> and that's encouraging. And it should stand as a warning to people who think they can stop God. Not going to happen. So let's switch to the kitchen with the woman baking three measures there. You know, one version, I think our version says a whole lot of flour. Well, 60 pounds, as I told you. And every single person in the crowd listening to him that day would go, what? Why would a woman ever need to be baking bread 60 pounds of flour because he's talking about the world, right? And so he's given time for the yeast to get through the entire batch. There, 2,000 years, the, the plant has been growing in the garden and the yeast has been rising. And so 2,000 years, we've gone, as I've been saying, from a baby boy to a man to the perfect sacrifice, and then after his death and resurrection, he ascends to where he was before. And then he sends some water down and sunshine to, to help the plant grow. And it warms things up in the world so the heat uh, will help the yeast rise and do its spreading work. And so you become from 120 in the upper room. We've got 3,000 on the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2. And then two chapters later, we're up to 5,000 in the garden and in the bowl there. And then in Acts chapter 8, the Samaritans, it's spreading, right? Acts chapter 10, the Gentiles are now becoming Christians, which was an odd thing to the Jews. The Jews are like, how in the world can a, can a non-Jewish person become a Christian? That was the question. Now it's the opposite. How in the world can a Jew become a Christian? Right? But when they when the gospel came, the Jews, it took them chapters and chapters to get it through their head. Oh, non-Jewish people can become Christians after all. And so, yeah, by 30 years, 30 years from Jesus telling these two stories, 30 years, three decades, the entire Roman Empire is evangelized. Paul the Apostle says, hey, <laughs> Romans, I'm going to come your way because you know what? There's no place left in the region to preach the gospel. The gospel's gone forth already all over the world. It was even in Ethiopia. God has his way of making sure that mustard tree grows and grows and the yeast spreads and spreads because our God 
is willing that none perish, but all come to repentance. He is not willing to see the wicked uh, uh, miss out on heaven. He died for them. And so, yes, so the tree grows, the yeast infiltrates, and it keeps expanding. And, and here's the big end now. For what purpose, right? It dominates for benevolence, for mercy. And here you have, for the tree, it is there, was planted, what? To provide shade for the entire garden. And it has to be big because it's shade for the entire world. For whosoever believes in him shall be under the shade and protection from judgment. And so let the birds come and perch in that tree, out of the hot Mediterranean sun. They chirp there. They nest there. They enjoy that rest. That's the heart of God, that those who trust in God, he planted the tree. He planted himself into a womb and then grew like a tree that would spread out its branches so that whosoever could come and not be destroyed by the, 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 the terrible heat of God's wrath and fury. That talk about heat and fire. He says you'll find shade. That just reveals God's heart there, you know. He says he's the good shepherd. He makes us let, lie down in green pastures. He leads us besides quiet waters. He restores our souls. He didn't come in the world to condemn the world but that the world might be saved through him. He leads us down right paths, no fear even in death. And so how could he say to the entire world, come to me and find rest, to wicked people. Come to a holy God and find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light, and I'm gentle and humble in heart. You'll find rest, just come to me. How can he say that? Well, I've got an answer for you. And it leads us to communion. Perhaps, Ben, you could come on up here and get situated and start strumming. And so here's maybe something new that you didn't see, speaking of a tree and how Jesus can say anybody can come and perch in its branches and find rest and shade. The seed of the woman becomes the man the man who will hang on a tree, right? He gives his life as a ransom payment. Anyone hanging on a tree is considered cursed and, cursed, and so he takes the curse for us. And then we can find rest on that tree, the tree of the cross, because he's bearing our sin and crying out, it is finished, and like the birds find this beautiful shade. And I'm so happy to have relief. So we, too, we sing songs about the cross. It's an instrument of death and torture, and we're happy about it because it provides shade for us. We can perch in its branches, as it were. It's just a beautiful thing to find rest in him and so there's no rest when you owe a debt to god and have the weight of your sins over your shoulder there's no way to find rest with that and so that and there's also this the yeast 
makes its way through that big batch of dough and it's finished baking on Good Friday. Well, it's been in the oven for, for many years. And then at 3 p.m. on Good Friday, the oven timer goes off and says, the bread is ready to eat. Jesus said in John chapter 6, I came down from heaven as the bread of life to give my body as a ransom payment for sinners that whoever eats of the bread I give, they will live forever and never die and I will raise them up on the last day. So yeah, he mixed just a little bit of microscopic almost yeast into the bread so that he can nourish the world with eternal life and life, abundant life, life that is really life. He says, that's me. I am the bread. You've been listening to The Rocks Podcast. Our regular services are held on Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you'd like to learn more, please visit our website at cctherock.org. 